Acts 17, verses 26 and 27. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far away from each of us. Welcome back to the Blue Collar Bereans podcast with your hosts, Scott McGrady and me, Nate Penley. It's good to have you here. Scott, how are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks. How are you doing? Very well, very well. And excited about we're getting to try and turn a corner here today. As the last few episodes, we've talked about foundations for what we believe, why we believe. We believe the Bible. It is God's inspired word of God. It's inerrant. It's, it's trustworthy. It's true. And it's sufficient for all aspects pertaining to life and godliness. And then we even talked about hermeneutics, how we read a Bible, how we interpret it, how we apply it, how it's relevant to everything that we do. And so is relevant in today's standard. It, it is relevant for all, all aspects of life. And we're dealing with some crazy things right now as we're watching our government seemingly crumble, our nation seemingly uh, divided and becoming more and more polarized each day over politics, I believe, but much more than that. But seemingly on the face, there's a political divide that is really driving us. And at, at, one, at the core of it, one of the huge root issues is the issue of racism. The Bible certainly speaks into this. Uh, so we want to try to jump into that today and talk about how it speaks into this issue and, and how we can apply and, and look at those things. And we've, uh, we're going to have links to a couple sermons here. Uh, one of them is by Vody Bauckham. Uh, as he talks about this issue not too long ago, back in the fall, uh, he spoke about uh, an issue related to this, and, and certainly there's a lot of elements to it that we're going to get into today, and we're going to try some new things and play some, some clips from those sermons and interact with them. But at the, at the core of it, I do feel like, as I've engaged with this personally and had to work through this issue, uh, not just with the issues of, of racism, but when I kind of almost step, step back and look at the issue of worldview, at the root of the worldview issue is inerrancy. And Vody certainly does attack that issue here as he reads a very common understanding of God's word put out by an actual seminary that's training actual people to help us interpret the word of God. And I think there's a lot of well-meaning, well-intended Christians out there that actually believe a lot of what he's going to say while still affirming inerrancy. They might say by their words that they believe in inerrancy, but do they really? And I think they really think about it. They often more so believe some of these awful views of inerrancy, which really is just a denial of inerrancy. And it, it makes their whole worldview crumble really fast. And I think that's at the root of why we see much of the issue here. Yeah, it's interesting what we'll hear him say is that the seminary affirms the Bible as God's word. Right. And yet they describe it as man's word with error and right <laughs> and and, and they're tricky about how they do that because we hear them use a term like inspiration and this is one that i i struggled with when i was interacting with uh progressive christian thought they'll affirm inspiration and they'll say that you know when we look at the bible the word inspiration's in the bible but inerrancy is not so then they sow that little seed where they put a crack in your foundation like oh inerrancy actually isn't in the bible and 
maybe, you know, and then you begin to think maybe they're right, maybe there are errors. It's inspired, though, but then they, they define inspired as something totally different than what the actual author's intended inspiration to mean. And so it's important, as we've discussed in the past, what does inspiration mean? We use the Bible as our definition of what inspiration means, and it, it does, I think, includes inerrancy in the definition of inspiration. But, like I say, they're, they're sneaky about it. They'll say, we, we affirm an inspiration, but it's full of errors. It's God's truth is hidden in there, but it's written by man. And we can't trust man because we know man's flawed. But that's not a real good working definition of what inerrancy is, as we've discussed in previous episodes. So, yeah, they're, they're real sneaky about that. But then as we look at the scriptures, then all of a sudden we're defining things. Vodi does talk about how in order to understand the truth that's hidden in God's word, we've got to use worldly philosophies, worldly theories to be able to properly interpret the truth that's kind of hidden in there. It's, it's not plain and evident for all to see because at least that's, that's their, their logic. I don't know if we want to jump in and play something. So as we do this, we're going to pull from James White's playbook and play this at a little bit of a higher speed so that we can get through it and uh, have the time to discuss it. So we are going to play it a little, little fast. The other issue is that we're actually warring against straw men. That this big boogeyman that we believe we need to address really doesn't exist. So I want to address all of those things, but I'm going to start by addressing this idea that we're fighting against straw men, that we're creating straw men in order to strengthen our position. I want to read something for you. This is from Union Seminary. Um, Union Seminary is a real seminary. They train real people for real pastoral ministry in real churches. And they responded to our statement. And here is part of their response. I won't take the time to read it all. They begin, misguided sociological, psychological, and political theories have long fostered biblical misinterpretation. Amen. That's why we wrote what we wrote. But we wish to address untruths this document proclaims. Any treatise that says social justice is incidental to the gospel badly misunderstands both. So I want to be clear. I'm not taking this out of context. These individuals are responding to our statement and to what they see as misrepresentations and untruths and errors in our statement. Point number one from the scripture. While divinely inspired, we deny the Bible is inerrant or infallible. It was written by men over centuries and thus reflects both God's truth and human sin and prejudice. We affirm that biblical scholarship and critical theory help us discern which messages are God's. First, just so anyone who may not know what he's referring to by their union's response to their statement, what statement he's referring to, he's referring to the Dallas statement, where uh, many pastors and other... Also known as the statement on social justice in the gospel. Right, yes. Yeah, and so addressing what they saw, and I think they're right, as a a affront and a a risk is that the word i want to the gospel uh, uh a threat, threat i would say yeah yeah threat to the gospel and I, I i agree and they put it out there for many people to be able to sign and to affirm what it's saying to stand on this saying this is this is what we hold to and and affirm and i think it's a very and, good statement and if you haven't read it certainly uh google it check it out look at it it's denial i'll just give you a quick brief overview of the Point number one is affirming the inerrancy of Scripture. Point number two is affirming the imago dei, that everyone's made in the image of God. Point three is about justice and that it should be defined biblically as God is a holy and just God. God. Point four is talks about God's law. Morality and God's law comes strictly from God. It's based on him. It's objective. 
0.5 affirms uh, that sin is real and it's connected to all of humanity. 0.6 talks about the gospel and that it is a message of reconciliation of God's people. Salvation is the plan for that. 0.7 and then 0.8 is a definition of who the church is, what the church is. 0.9 has uh, a bulletin about heresy. 0.10 talks about sexuality and marriage, who it's uh, biblically defined as. And then 0.11 discusses complementarianism, and that's talking about basically gender roles, how God has created us uniquely for different roles in the church and in the family. And then even the 12th (laughs) is wraith and ethnicity, um, defining how uh, we're all one race created in the image of God. And then culture. I think there's there's a few more points here. You can you can check it out. Uh, but this response that he's talking about after they release his statement, Union released a statement in response to it, which basically is almost the exact mirror opposite of everything that is released in this statement. And certainly, Union is is that seminary on the side that's really the far opposite extreme. So it's easy, I think, for even someone in the Southern Baptist Convention or in just general evangelical Christianity to look at that extreme and say, listen, we're not that crazy. But yet at the root, I, I really think that inerrancy is is the foundational starting point for each worldview. And if you mess up inerrancy, it's really like a fork in the road. It's going to send you down one road or the other. And if you affirm inerrancy, it's going to put you on this path. doesn't mean you'll never veer from that path. But it's going to put you on a path that goes one direction, and then denying inerrancy is going to put you on the almost opposite direction, directional path. And like I say, you could veer off of that as well, but really you're going to be heading in two different directions, and that's the foundational issue. And I, I do think so many people get that wrong right at the beginning, and it causes a world of heartache. Union's the, the one that was apologizing to plants, right? Right, <laughs> right. So you see where the logic of their worldview is going to take you. <laughs> right. That they're not going to be able to affirm the rest of that statement. That See, this, so this might be the one area where I kick back against Vody's statement here. When he says this is a real seminary, sending people to real churches. Is it? Yeah, that's, that's questionable. <laughs> but and that's, but that's, still, that's still, I think, it's not a straw man because I, I do think there's a lot of well-intended evangelical Christians, and I would point my finger at myself when I say this, where I lived in a world where I would say, sure, I believe the Bible is inerrant, but did I really believe it? Could I really defend it? And the answer is no, I couldn't. And I think so many people are caught in that same same category as me, so that when they come across people who have thought through this a little more than we have and push us on, well, inerrancy is not in the Bible, but inspiration is, all of a sudden we find that, hey, uh, Maybe I really don't know what I'm talking about. And it puts a crack of doubt in the foundation of our worldview. And if we're not careful, it can put us down a path that is one we, that we don't want to go. And I think that's why we are seeing so many big-name Christians and even small-name Christians just absolutely walking away from the faith right now. Big names, Joshua Harris, uh, John, uh, I can't think of his name, the lead singer of Hawk Nelson just recently is the most recent one that did it. But so many musicians that I've listened to over the years, Derek Webb, uh, the, the guy from Page of the Lion. Derek Webb? Derek Webb. I didn't hear that. Oh, yeah. Oh, Gone. I missed that one. That was a big one. Michael Gunger. 
big popular Christian name a few years back. And, and so many of them, they, are, they fit into this camp of progressive Christians where at the foundation of what they believe is a denial of inerrancy. Some have gone further than others in how far they take that, but still that foundational worldview issue of denying inerrancy is going to put you on a path that ultimately either denies God, the God of the Bible, Jesus as we know him, and his redemptive plan altogether, or it creates an altered viewpoint of him. And they create a Jesus that's maybe a little bit like the Jesus in the Bible, but a little different, a little more made in their own image. And you start getting diluted versions of Jesus real fast that, quite frankly, don't have the power to save. Um, so it, it's this is really important because it, it, it leads to false gospels really fast. So yeah, I, like all that to say, I, I agree with Vody. I agree with what you said against Vody. They're not a real seminary, but I, I think a lot of us have bought into that underlying worldview issue that allows us to walk down the similar path that, that Union does. Maybe we don't go as far as apologizing to plants, but we create a Jesus that's a little different than who he has revealed himself to be. Just for the record, I'm not against Vody. He could right. break me with his pinky. Right. So, <laughs> Big dude. I, I'm not against him at all. Um, yeah, maybe someday I'll get back into lifting. I can be as big as he is. Well, he's like an expert. Is it? It's not karate. Yeah, something. Yeah, mixed martial arts. Yeah, he's crazy. I don't know how he has find, finds time to do that with all of his kids. I mean, I have no time with my, my kids. But yeah, he was, he's right on the money there. So when we read the Bible, we have to discern what of this comes from God and what of this comes from man and his sin and his prejudice. And biblical scholarship helps us to do that, but also critical theory helps us to do that. Critical theory, which is a modern theory from the social sciences. Critical theory, rooted and grounded in modern sociology and psychology and political science. Critical theory, outside of the Bible, helps us to read the Bible rightly and determine what God is saying versus what sinful man is saying. So we have a new canon here. I think that's the big, I think that last statement saying we have a new canon. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the killer of the whole thing. Right. And that, that is the big red flag that obviously they don't, they don't believe in inerrancy. So we need special tools, man-made tools. Yeah. Where, you know, you read in first Corinthians two, where Paul talks about the, the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. Mm -hmm. And how do we understand scripture? It's not through our own wisdom, but through the the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Right. That's how we understand Scripture. But mm -hmm. this is this is trying to do an end round around the Holy Spirit. Right. And and no, it's my wisdom that teaches me what Scripture means. Right. And we're susceptible to this line of argument because we have really bad anthropology. <laughs> right. We don't view us as in complete denial and rebellion against God and his holy law. We, we often view ourselves as more neutral than we should, and it's because... Quite frankly, we're not in the word enough. Right. But we'll get to that a little bit more when we get to MacArthur because he really hammers down on anthropology, sure. which allows us to be susceptible to, yeah, let's use this, let's use this tool to help us interpret God and find, find the hidden truth in there. And critical theory, man, as I, I've, I've been hearing a lot of guys sounding off alarms for the last couple of years about it. And having not really had to deal with it face to face, I, I've been, a, you know, I could, might even myself have been a little skeptical, like maybe they're overplaying this a bit. But after the last couple weeks, month or so, they were right on the head, right on the money, right on the money with, with what they're saying about, about what's happening. We're seeing it play out in live time, live action. Uh, we have, we have groups out there and movements that are unashamed about their Marxist roots, unashamed. They're putting themselves out there with videos. Uh, the leader of the Black Lives Matter 
movement is saying we are trained Marxists. That's her own words. And other people in the organization are saying, you know, we're, we're existing to tear down structures. Which I don't understand, though, with the Mark, historically, Marxism is racist. Historically. It is. I don't understand. Right. And that's that's where I, we're going to get to it eventually. But our critique of of what they're saying, I mean, ultimately, even if they can identify a problem correctly, what they want to do isn't isn't how you fix it. Right. You don't fix racism with more racism. Right. You don't fix partiality with more partiality. That makes no sense. But in a worldview that thinks of man as more neutral than they really are, gives us more credit and ability to discern things than we really are. We think we know more than God. We think we can we know more than his word. So let's use human tools like critical theory to interpret the truth of God's word. Well, the God's word needs to interpret the truth of man uh, is how it needs to go. And and if you don't know what critical theory is, you never heard of that. Um, there's a lot of good resources out there of people that um, can explain what it is. But I know Vody, uh, is it Sovereign Nations, I believe, has a social justice, um, almost say primer, uh, into what it is. But Vody Bauckham, uh, Tom Askell, James White, Tom Buck, they do they do some series on the whole social justice movement and explain really how critical theory is the foundation of what all these these issues are that are driving this whole movement. And, and just it is dangerous. Sure. And just understanding just the part of it as we move into this is that it it divides everyone up into these groups. Right. And it doesn't matter if you actually fit into that group or not. If right. because of the color of your skin or something about you fits you into that group, then you are guilty of that group's sins. Right. So it's not it has nothing to do with the individual. It ignores the individual, mm-hmm. and it's just those groups that you are identified with, whether or not you actually identify with them. I feel like fundamentally it does two things: it it attributes sin to people who are not guilty, and it denies guiltiness of sin for people that are truly guilty. And what I mean by that is number one, it changes the goalposts of what the definition of sin is. So someone who does not have power as they classify it cannot be guilty of the sin of racism which Rody does talk about later uh, later point in the sermon he's, he talks about how he went to school and the same family that told him to go to school because he's, he's a black man he went to school and one of the things his family said is don't come back with no white girl and he says you know according to critical theory, theory that can't be a racist statement when in fact on its face of course it's racist to say that why why could you know why would skin color be an issue for him to pursue in a healthy god ordained marriage covenant it it shouldn't be because we're all created in the image of god one race one man and so the fact that critical theory seeks to redefine what sin actually is and change the goalposts so to say now we're using man's theories to define what sin is and not god's word so that's a problem and then two we're taking the blame and shifting it on to other people that aren't necessarily responsible for specific things. So in these two issues, neither of them are helpful in any way. They're only going to complicate problems because we all know there's problems and we need to talk about them. And justice does seek to speak into every area of life. So wherever we find injustice, we need to speak out about it. But number one, the way they define who is responsible is wrong, and then how they choose to deal with it is wrong too, because it's, it's just, it's completely, it, it takes the truth of God's word and makes it completely upside down. Throws it right in his face. 
Yeah, I think Vody Bakum himself, it was when he was uh, being interviewed by Glenn Beck. I mean, he was saying to take this position, he'd have to completely change the gospel. Like, if he was to yeah. hold to this, he needs to change the gospel. Mm-hmm. He can't hold to biblical truths and follow uh, these ideas. Right. Ultimately, that is the end road. Let's read the statement on sin. We affirm that all people, systems, and institutions are affected by sin. We deny, however, that we're only responsible for our own personal sins. God calls us to understand how we benefit or are harmed by structural oppression and break sinful systems down. Salvation. We deny that salvation is only found through Christianity. That God's salvific grace is exclusive to any single faith or religion. Moreover, in God's eyes, there is no difference in spiritual value or worth between those who are in Christ and those who are not. This is a real seminary training real people for real positions in real churches. This is not a straw man. Is it real though? <laughs> right. And at the first part of that thing is what we just talked about. Right, it is. And uh, But I think then it gets to what you were saying about the trail it takes you down. Mm-hmm. I mean, affirming that salvation is not exclusive to Christianity. I mean, that's just ripping Jesus' words right out. John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts four twelve. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. No other name. Right. There, that's it. Uh, <clears throat> Romans three twenty six. God justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's that's it. There is no other it's plain way. as day. And and I see this all the time with fellow brothers and sisters of mine. And I feel like my generation is less and less feeling the need to attack the false gospels out there of things such as Roman Catholicism. I have people I I know and love that say, you know, Roman Catholics can be saved too. But if you believe what the Roman Catholic Church is teaching, uh, no, you can't. It is antithetical to the gospel. And I've taken some time to really dig into what the Roman Catholics actually have written as part of their doctrine, part of their dogma. If you believe what they're teaching, believe what they're putting out. It is antithetical to the gospel. We want to focus so much, I think, selfishly on just the message of God's love. We don't take time to really dig into the truth of God's word and see just how exclusive it is. Jesus, like you just said, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him, and that's it. And then he lays out why he had to die. He lays out the whole gospel message, and if we don't believe and affirm that, then we don't believe and affirm the true gospel. If we don't experience the true, firm gospel, I don't think we're going to see the actual change in hearts. So yeah, like I said, that's, that is what we just said. It's, it's the logical conclusion of where critical theory is going to take you. The denial of the gospel, ultimately. And I'll be the first to admit that Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, is, that's, that's as good as it gets. Amen? You don't even have to be Pentecostal to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 and feel like you need to shout. Amen? But it's not as though Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 gives us the good stuff. And then in verse 11, we get something less. Actually, in Ephesians 1 through 10, we get the picture of our need in Christ for salvation from our sin because of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, and we have to be made alive together with Christ. Amen? And that's just good news. We, we must be born again. We, we must have our sins dealt with. Our sins must be nailed to the cross, and we must be reconciled to God. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. We are also reconciled to one another. And that's what we see beginning in verse 11. That this reconciliation to God opens up lays the foundation and is the source of our reconciliation to one another. Not sociology, psychology, or political science, but the same gospel. So what brings reconciliation? Like you were saying before, it's not more division. Right. It's the gospel. Yeah. That brings that reconciliation. It's the gospel that 
has the answers to the issues we're looking at. Is there hatred? Is there prejudiceness? Is there bigotry? Absolutely there is. Are there injustices? Yes. What's the answer? The gospel. And I, I would say the gospel does start with understanding man, a good anthropology, and that we are all fallen. We are all guilty. We have all broken the law and not just some of the law all of the law I and mean, we, we're, we're all in the same boat together so in so in so many ways it's such a simple thing to see that this is the answer it's bringing us all down to the same playing field here and realizing that we are all broken we're all morally depraved and so starting with that understanding of who we are then we get to turn and see as even the first 10 verses of Ephesians talks about the great glorious gift we have is God. And that is, as you said, the gospel is the only thing that is the answer to the issues that we see. And once we accept that, it doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect right away. It doesn't mean there won't still be the process of sanctification as we can look in scriptures and and build a doctrine of sanctification. That takes time. While we're on this earth, we're still going to be plagued by our physical flesh that we fight and war against. But it is the beginning to giving us the opportunity to be able to fight sin, which is the only answer to fighting sin is, is the gospel. Uh, it, it is so simple on its face. doesn't mean it's easy, but it's, it's a simple concept. It's beginning of verse 11. Look at it there. Therefore, remember. Now, therefore, therefore harkens back to verses 1 through 10. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, now remember, you, you, you Gentiles, by the way, there's, he's dividing the world, and this is, this is important. When we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture for our reconciliation, right? The sufficiency of Scripture as it relates to justice in this regard between us as people. First of all, we see its sufficiency in that it makes clear who we are and how we are divided. We see two groups here, Gentiles in the flesh and the circumcision. Remember that you were, at that time, three things, separated from Christ. Secondly, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Thirdly, strangers to the covenants and promises. Because of that, we had no hope and we're without God in the world. Just two things here that are incredibly important. One is it identifies the distinctions that matter. And secondly, it identifies the division that exists. Now, these distinctions that matter are important because oftentimes we talk about distinctions and we talk about being distinct from one another in terms of our race. Race is actually a social construct. The concept of race is not a biblical concept. It's not a biblical idea. It is a constructed idea. You won't find the idea of races in the Bible unless you find it in the proper historical context where we see, number one, that we are all the race of Adam. Amen? One race, one blood. We are all the race of Adam. There is less than a 0.2% genetic difference between any of us in this regard. In fact, we're not even different colors. Amen? Technically, from a genetic perspective, from a biochemistry perspective, we are all actually the same color. Our color comes from our melanin. We've all got melanin just to differing degrees. So it's not that some of us are, you know, this color, some of us are that color, some of us, no, we're just different shades of the same color. Some of us just have more melanin than others, and I want you to, listen to me on this, listen to me. Just because you don't have as much melanin as I do, don't you dare think God doesn't love you as much as he loves me because he gave me more. You learn to be satisfied with the little you have. (laughs) Classic Vody. You know, and he, he really does hit the nail on the head with what critical theory does. And and the truth is, is that we are all humans. We're all one race. We are the same. Race is a social construct. When you think about what critical theory does, it's I, I find it ironic. 
Critical theory wants to say that there are real dis distinctions that are not biblical, such as race, yet they want to say there's no distinction between male and female, which is an actual biological, physical, you can see it plain as day difference between people. But, but we Christians, though, we're the ones that hate science. Right. I know. <laughs> science deniers over here, right? It's insane. I mean, literally, they're turning reality on its head. They're creating distinctions that don't exist. They're denying real distinctions that do exist and saying that we're unjust for holding to these biblical truths. The answer, obviously, is, is when we look at race, we are all created in Adam. As We read that. We started with Acts. One race, the human race, we're all from one common descendant. We all share the same genetic DNA. And yet, the only real distinction, as Bible says, is one that's physical, circumcision. He gets into later how, how God cures that problem. And that's what should drive us to be unified in Christ, because we're all unified by the same way. But yeah, that's, it's such a, just a glaring inconsistency of where critical theory is going to take you in interpreting scripture. It turns truth right on its head. It's insane. Yeah. But I will be satisfied with the little melanin that I have. <laughs> right. Because right. I have very little. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But there is another separation. There is actually a separation that we do have here in scripture. It's a real separation. Uh, the separations that we have, the racial categories that we have are artificial. They are not biblical in nature, nor are they genetic in nature. They are artificial based on people's hair and their features and their skin color and things like that. That is artificial. It's not real. We've been convinced that it is, but it's not real. But the Bible does talk about a real distinction, and that is between Gentiles and Jews. Now, racial distinctions are things that we have made up to divide ourselves as individuals, and it's crazy. It's logically inconsistent. I read these forms, and people, you know, you're like, what, are, what, is your, what is your race? Human. Actually, actually, no, actually, you're, you're African-American. How's that a race? Because one of them is a nationality. Amen? That's crazy talk. How is that my race? And how is it that I get to be an African-American, but somebody comes over here from Egypt or Algeria or Morocco, they don't get to be African-American. Because the first part of my race is based on my continent. Well, no, not actually. Only the black part of your continent. Oh, wow, okay. So why use the name of the continent, right? And then the second part is based on your, you know, your, your nationality. How do you get race from nationality? We made this up. It's not real. But this distinction is real. And we didn't make it up, God did. Follow me on this, because it's going to be very important later on. The distinction between Jew and Gentile is a real distinction, and God made the distinction. But it's a covenantal distinction, not a racial one. How do I know that? Because the first Jew had to become one. He was of the same ethnicity and race, if you will, as all the rest of his kinfolk. Amen? God didn't say to, to, to Abraham, be still. I'm getting ready to change you at the genetic level so that your descendants will be genetically different from the other descendants. This might hurt a little bit. No, he made an external adjustment. Circumcision did not change him genetically. So the Jew-Gentile divide is not a genetic one. It can't be. You can't try to make it one. That dog won't hunt. So God actually makes this distinction. It's a real distinction, and it's a covenantal distinction. But why am I laboring this point? Because the question is, the scripture is sufficient. Yes, the scripture is sufficient because one of our big problems is we allow a man-made category to divide us, but the all-sufficient word of God says to us, that's a lie. Stop believing it. Now you, I mean, that's everything you just said. Right. 
and so I don't know how much we have to comment on it, but because you, you did a great job before that, but I, I just, I, I thought his argument, I mean, how do you argue with that when he's talking right. about my race is African-American and as he pulls apart what that is, right? like, uh, I just think he does a really great job of bringing out the illogic right. of the idea of there being this distinction between people that's just a social construct, as he said, it's, it's artificial. Right. And, and I think we all struggle with wanting to identify with that in some way and taking pride in something that is something that probably isn't worthy of taking pride in. And so we search for things and we make up these arguments and not a half the time they don't even make a whole lot of logical sense. I identify with a continent and a nationality and say it's my race. Not even the whole continent. <laughs> right, right, just part of it. And it, it makes no sense when you really sit down and think through the logic of it, as he points out. And if we would just get back to what the scripture says, what is our identity? My identity is in Christ, in Christ alone. I am a child of God. That, if that is my focus, it, it solves much of that issue. If we can truly submit to Christ and his authority. So don't take our word for it. Search the scriptures via Berean. A blue collar Berean.